We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Welcome back to Go and Do. Welcome back to those of you who were with us last year as we studied the Book of Mormon. And a brand new welcome to those of you who will be joining us for Doctrine and Covenants this year. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants presents some unique challenges. I think that less overall scriptures to read, um, but more overall trying to understand the context of those scriptures and what's happening behind the scenes of the text. So in some ways it'll be a little more challenging, but we're excited to see what we learn from this and how we can apply these scriptures to our daily lives. Our ultimate goal with this podcast is to encourage people to study and have an opportunity to get different perspectives, but also to put the scriptures into action, to go and do. Don't let this be something that you just listen to and and it just kind of floats around in your head. In fact, we invite you to join us on Instagram or Facebook to get episode reminders, to contribute any questions or comments you have about lessons, and find ways to think about these topics more throughout the week. So I hope you guys enjoy it. This is kind of interesting. In the institute manual, student manual of religion, there's just a little paragraph that gives historical background for Doctrine and Covenants section one. And it says, the heavens have been opened, revelation has been given, and the church had seen over a year's growth since its organization when the Council of Elders convened in a conference in Hiram, Ohio, on November 1st, 1831, the conference considered plans to publish the revelations already received. Their, deci- their decision was to publish them in a book to be called the Book of Commandments and to authorize 10,000 copies in the first printing. Following the first sec- session of the conference, the prophet Joseph Smith inquired of the Lord to receive divine confirmation of their resolution. The Lord not only approved the work, but gave a revelation as his own preface to the book. This preface became section one. Yeah, I think really the story for me starts with William McClellan. And he was a school teacher whose wife and child had just passed away. He was found himself alone. And um, he was looking for, I think, meaning and purpose in his life. He came across David Whitmer and Harvey Whitlock that were teaching the gospel. They were preaching somewhere, and he he really took to what they were saying. Um, he ended up traveling to Independence. He met some of the other brethren. Um, he grew a testimony of the Book of Mormon while he was there, and eventually he went on with them to Kirtland and met Joseph Smith. And he had like several questions that he he wanted answers to, but he kind of wanted to test Joseph Smith as a prophet, and so he asked him. Um, for a revelation, as he knew that other people had done in the past too. You know, I want a revelation about what the Lord wants for me or whatever. 
And so Joseph went and did it. And when he came back and said, this is what the Lord wants from you. This is what the Lord revealed for me, for you. It answered all of the questions he had. And so he was like, okay, this guy's a real prophet. Now, fast forward to that meeting, right? On November 1st, uh, he calls everybody together because Ezra Booth had written an, uh, an article in a local newspaper about uh, basically calling out Joseph Smith for keeping Revelation secret and for making false prophecies. And a lot of people read it, members, non-members, whatever. A lot of people read it. And it caused a lot of consternation, I think, among the members. Because even though that they, they still believed he was a prophet, they were, still a little bit, they were still a little bit bothered that they didn't have access to the revelations of God. They were all handwritten. And anytime anybody wanted to go and take some of them to go teach them as missionaries, they had to handwrite them also, like copy them down and take them with them. And so it was like, we just want a little more transparency. Like, how do we know that what else is in these revelations? We'd like to study them and, and learn them and read them whenever we want. And so that's why they kind of called that meeting together. It was interesting because in that meeting, there were, the debate was that some of the brethren didn't necessarily want the revelations to be public. Um, not because they were hiding something, but because they were afraid of how it might put the saints into danger. Or, you know, they had they were in Kirtland. They'd already been chased out of a couple places, and things weren't always uh, favorable for them. And they were looking at it like, if we tell everyone what our plans are, we might have problems with people who want to stop us. And so they were the ones saying, I don't know if we should publish this, right? And then, like you said, eventually they agreed for 10,000 copies of the Book of Commandments. And that day, they assigned the three best wordsmiths, the three best writers in the room, Sidney Rigdon, Oliver Cowdery, and this William McClellan, uh, to write a preface for the Doctrine and Covenants. And this is kind of from uh, the book Saints uh, that the Church History Department has put out. They were supposed to write a preface. They wrote one, and then they went to present it to back to the council again, and they basically tore it apart. They were like, this is, not, this is no good. This is not what we we're looking for. <laughs> and so... They asked Joseph, hey, can you go pray to the Lord and ask him what, what he would want the preface to be for Doctrine and Covenants? And that's when we got section one. He came back and basically dictated line by line what we have in section one. So it's pretty interesting. Some were a little reluctant to publish the revelations without polishing. They wanted to go back and kind of say, hey, let's let's tidy this up a little bit. Let's get these guys that are really good writers to kind of polish up some of these already written revelations because they're not that well written. You know, they're just Joseph Smith writing down his impressions. They, uh, the Lord actually issued a challenge to the men to see if any of them could write an equivalent revelation by themselves. And so William McClellan, again, uh, said, I'll give it a shot. He took up, you know, a pen and started trying to write a revelation similar to that that Joseph Smith had received from the Lord. Um, then he presented it to everybody. Everyone kind of was kind of like, we all agree it's clear that this is not from God and that the revelations, although they have flaws and aren't super well written, those are from God. So they kept it as is. They didn't want to edit too much. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. You know, this little bit of background about, about section one shows how not only necessary it was to have a prophet that could guide all of this, but also how you could tell everyone did not always agree. And they were all trying to do their best to represent the gospel in the best way. Well, you also start seeing more insight into the church being governed through councils and through keys of the priesthood, you know, where we we see, like in the Book of Mormon, for example, we have a kind of a prophet. 
and, and they even tell us, Mormon tells us that one-tenth of what they had, they couldn't fit here. And the everyday kind of things, they left out. Yeah. They were just giving us the, the most pure, best examples of doctrine, doctrine and principles. And I feel more like in Doctrine and Covenants, now the Lord is going to give his church some more everyday kind of stuff, more <laughs> administrative type of stuff. I found this quote interesting here by Joseph Fielding Smith in, in um, where he says, Joseph Fielding Smith observed that the Doctrine and Covenants is, and this is where the quote begins, the Doctrine and Covenants is distinctly peculiar and interesting to all who believe in that it is the only book in existence which bears the honor of the preface given by the Lord himself. Mm. It was not written by Joseph Smith, but was dictated by Jesus Christ and contains his and his father's words to the church and to, to all the world that faith in God, repentance from sin, and membership in his church might be given to all who believe, will believe, and that once again a new and everlasting covenant might be established. I thought that was interesting because in in our uh, in the Come Follow Me we have these distinct uh, sections. One is the Lord invites everyone to search these commandments, and then after that it gives us kind of the Lord speaks His commandments through His servants and His prophets, and then it gives us kind of the next phase is if I'm humbled, I will receive correction from the Lord that will lead me to repentance and to improvement. Yeah. And that in a, in an essence that this, the Lord talking to, to his people is not just instruction for the church, but an invitation for everyone on earth, for the whole world, an invitation yeah. to come find out, come see for yourself. You know? Well, and in verse four, it's also a voice of warning, right? Voice of warning shall be unto all people by the mouths of my disciples whom I have chosen in these last days. He's basically saying, listen, this is all of the literal doctrine and the covenants that the people should be making or have made. And this is what everyone needs to know about. Reminding of all the commandments you need to follow, of the power authority of, the, of God, and the fact that he's restored his church. All of that was, was kind of the purpose. This chapter, this section also confirms Joseph Smith Jr. as the prophet. He basically says, verse 17, Wherefore I, the Lord, knoweth the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith Jr., and spake unto him from heavens, and gave him commandments. Basically reiterating, this is my prophet right now. Um, there's also very clear that this is a communication directly from the Lord to his people. I think it's in verse 25 through 28. There's like this list. And in as much as they erred, they might, it might be made known. And in as much as they sought wisdom, it might be instructed. And in as much as they sinned, it might be chastened, that they might repent. And in as much as they were humble, they might be made strong. It's basically saying, as, as the people are going through growth in the gospel and learning more about how to be saints, how to be followers of Christ, you will see in this book the times that the Lord does kind of say, hey, you need to straighten up. And so-and-so, you need to be a little bit better. And here's how you guys are going to approach this problem. It's a direct communication from the Lord to his people in a time when they needed and, it a lot. And also what I find super interesting in the Doctrine and Covenants is there's many times when the prophet himself is chastised yeah. and has made mistakes, Yep. which 
and then the, there's even times where it's well for a season you cannot you you have to repent and and sometimes he loses some of the gifts of translation and then until he he straightens up and then he regains the gifts and that can be a little bit challenging because a, a lot of the onlookers can see we expect often prophets to be perfect <laughs> which is a great myth the only perfect person is Christ, right? And that's why it's his church, his name that we take upon us. Though these men are great men and, and are, have are great examples, they, are, they, they have special callings, but they are prone to the same temptations and inadequacies that we ourselves suffer. Um, well, and you, I, think, I, I think that some of that is the transparency that maybe they were afraid of. Right. And I think it's clear that both Joseph Smith and the Lord didn't want this to be a cult of personality. They didn't want it to be the Joseph Smith church or see he's perfect. He never makes mistakes. They were OK with those revelations where the Lord is like, and my servant Joseph Smith needs to straighten up yeah. and publishing it that way, because it's what the Lord said. Those were the revelations given. Yeah, I, I also when you were mentioning a voice of warning, I if we can go back to verse 15 and 16. Uh, the Lord is being very specific. The arm of the Lord shall be revealed in the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and the apostles shall be cut off from among the people. For they have strayed from mine ordinances and have broken my everlasting covenant. And they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way, and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol, which waxes old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall. And then he goes into where you where you took us with, and because of these calamities, because I foresaw all this, I called my servant Joseph to bring forth the beginning of the restoration right when i when i read this part i thought sometimes a lot of our hesitancy or even our faults that we find with religion with religion practices and and even um off-putting can be attributed to these people that have strayed away from the true gospel from the true principles of the lord and have used them to get gain, have used them to set up uh, a God in his own, after his own image. And I feel saddened when I hear individuals who receive bad examples of Christ's gospel through people manipulating and interjecting their own ideas or 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 using the gospel as as a way of getting gain or yeah. as a way of showing that you're superior or better than someone which is totally contrary to the actual gospel and to the way that Christ asks us to behave and act but we're going to see a lot of that that's the exciting part is we're going to see saints and individuals being tested and in some cases rising to the occasion and in some cases not rising to the occasion and both have consequences and it gives us a, a story or a history here 
of really good things that have happened and really bad things that have happened in the church history. Yeah. And that, and we're in a we're in a good culture uh, or a time right now where the church is being very transparent about all of these issues and and rightly so when you understand the principle of agency and you understand that that uh, that people were giving agency they're giving counsel they're the that the lord is leads his church but when we do not follow that counsel we're kind of left on our own and then and then when it doesn't work out we then want to blame the lord and it's like no not in these scenarios you'll see over and over again how he has continuously given good counsel to his saints yeah i think that really goes hand in hand with verse 16 and they seek not the lord to establish his righteousness but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own god whose image is in the like like likeness of the world and whose substance is that of an idol which waxeth old and shall perish in babylon even babylon the great which shall fall He's talking about the last days, and he's talking about our times. He's talking about the times that are to come after us, even, and how people, every man walketh in his own way. You see that all the time right now, where it's like, no, I'm going to rewrite what's okay and what's not. I'm going to change what's good and what's evil and adapt it to what it's, I'm comfortable with. You know, And the Lord's saying, this is going to happen. What is it? And after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol. You see that all the time, whether it's money that people are after whether it's notoriety whether it's some physical other person that they're trying to follow instead of god you see all these ways where the lord's warning us you know in the last days there's going to be a tendency for this and you need to remind yourself that the doctrine and the covenants that you're to be following are in this book right and in the other scriptures um, i think this was a really important message for the early saints to learn as well because they were in the the very beginnings and had had people taken power and used it in inappropriate ways, they could have really drastically changed what was the restoration of the gospel into something that got them gain or got them what they wanted instead of what the Lord wanted. And I think he was just trying to remind them, hey, remember that this is my church. The other part I found really interesting is in verse 30, where the Lord is kind of just saying, you know, I'm going to give these commandments and this uh, to the saints so they can lay the foundation of this church. Um, and then it says the foundation of the church to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness. The one true and living church upon the face of the whole earth with which I, the Lord, am well pleased speaking unto the church collectively and not individually. And then he goes into for I, the Lord, can I look upon sin with the least degree of allowance Nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. So I, I felt in the past when we say we're the only true and living church, that sometimes people can take that to mean, oh, whatever I hold dear, whatever I believe, you're saying is not worth anything. And that's not the message. Wherever you are, there's a lot of good in the world. And there are true principles out there. Definitely. In, in, when you do the best you can, whatever principle, if, if you imagine the church is a pie and you only have one slice, the, the Lord will lead you to more slices and will lead you to his church. And there's many stories and many testimonies of that, that the church is here to enhance the good that you know. 
and and oftentimes I think people can feel a little bit defensive when the church boldly proclaims we're the only true living church on the face of the earth because it is a bold proclamation but it, it's not one that we're making it's the one the lord is making yeah and coming from him is different than coming from man because man can be jealous that we can be vindictive we can be petty and we can be prideful but when the lord says some, a statement like this we have to take it differently we have to realize because it's coming from him him the one willing to lay his life down for you that it has a different meaning, that it is an invitation, that it's telling us that we want everyone to partake of this goodness. We, we want, bring bring the three pieces you have and let's add the seven we have to get you to 10, you know, type of thing. Yeah, and really that also goes with, he keeps using the same phrase about the weak and simple things and weak and simple people, really, in, in verses 19 through 23. It says, the weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones, that man should not counsel his fellow man, either trust in the arm of the flesh, but that every man might speak in the name of God, the Lord, even the Savior of the world, that faith might also might increase in the earth, that my everlasting covenant might be established, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and simple unto the ends of the world and before kings and rulers. So what does he mean by weak and simple? I think it means that the gospel will not, overpower you into submission it will not come in and be overbearing to you jesus being born in a manger was probably the most weak and simple beginning of all time you know like <laughs> someone so great should have been announced to the entire world somehow but it just goes to show that that's how the lord works it's the still small voice it's these simple and and not obligatory not overpowering ways that he approaches each one of us and he encourages us to approach him. And this was a very important message for the early saints because I'm, I'm sure many of them had moments of doubt where they were like, why are we so small? Why are we having to struggle all the time? Why are we being persecuted by everyone? If this is the truth, why does this suck so bad sometimes? And the Lord's saying, hey, it's by the weak and simple things that my work will come to pass. Why is Joseph Smith not a good writer? Why is he not a good speaker? Because it's by the weak and simple things that this will become the past. You know, you've been called to a mission, brother so-and-so. Yeah, but I don't know much about the gospel, and I'm not that great at doing this, and I don't know if I can handle it. You know what? It's by the weak and simple things, you know? There's no excuse. You can do it. I think it kind of goes back to section four. You know, if you have a desire, you're called yep. to the work. You're, the qualifications the Lord asks for are very different than the qualifications the world asks for. <laughs> and we look at things, how they're valued, and... The Lord values different things. He values the intentions of your heart. He values your, your, the, the outcome is not always what is needed. You know, look at the widow's might. She gave more than everyone else by giving the least, what appears to be the least. And we need to be careful that we don't begin to value ourselves or others the way the world does. We look for ways to value things the way the Lord does. There's this interesting quote here by President uh, Joseph Fielding Smith on this topic, and, and it says, The Lord's ways are not man's ways, and he cannot choose those who in their own judgment are too wise to be taught. Therefore, he chooses those who are willing to be taught, 
and he makes them mighty even to the breaking down of great and mighty. When we think of our missionary system, we can see how the weak have gone forth among the strong ones and have prevailed. The mighty and the strong ones have been broken down by the humble elders of the church. And I thought that was interesting, especially the line of, he cannot choose those who in their own judgment are too wise to be taught. And, yeah. and that's, that's a true sentiment. There's many things, especially when you learn an art or a trade or, or something that requires a high level of technique, that it's important that you have one, a good beginning. And often we try to take shortcuts. And I, I imagine people like um, that play instruments. It's really easy to start playing by ear and not reading the sheet music. It's a big temptation. But if you slow down and you read the sheet music, you will be able to go further than just playing by ear. There are times when the Lord is trying to train us and teach us. And some of the fundamentals often seem very simple and we so simple that we can disregard them. But it's those simple things that will give you the strength to withstand the great things that will challenge you. And, and that's how I view by the simple, by the humble, by the weak things, you will be able to overcome the mighty things. I think the other part in this is the invitation that we get directly from the Lord in verse 37. And I think that this is basically the invitation always, but especially this year of 2021. Search these commandments, for they are true and faithful, and the prophecies and promises which are in them shall be fulfilled. That simple. Study it. Search it. Know it. Because this is real. These aren't just empty words you know these are prophecies and promises that will be fulfilled i think what we need especially after the 2020 that everyone had is we need a year of hope we need a year of of forward thinking you know looking forward to the future what does it hold for us well these commandments will tell us what the future holds and i think that that you know looking back at something that happened in the past and discussions and questions and answers that were formulated in the past in order to know what will happen in the future seems counterintuitive, but a lot of these principles are the same, right? I like how this section ends with the great scripture mastery scripture. <laughs> yeah. Where in verse 38, where the Lord says, What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled. Whether by my voice, my own voice, or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. And I, I would take the challenge for us right now, as we are living in a very, where we're in a pandemic, the whole world is kind of like, we could call it a plague. We could call it, you know, those kind of cool biblical names that will make us feel, <laughs> yeah, we could feel included in in biblical matters here or or scriptural matters. Um, yeah, and then. Tied with that, there, there's a lot of tension, political upheaval, just just stress and anxiety and fear. I would challenge us all to take the time to search out what has the Lord spoken about our specific fears, concerns, 
anxieties that we have right now, particularly about this pandemic, particularly about elections, particularly about whatever, whatever is the highlight topics. Search General Conference, search the recent articles that the, the church has released, search the special messages our beloved prophet has uh, taken the time to, to share with us on the website, on email, on social media, and ask yourself, what would the Lord want me to do during this time? And how do I best align with him and his will and represent him and act as a disciple, as opposed to we're tempted often to bend the gospel to our preconceived notions and ideas, as opposed to bend our will to what the Lord wants us to feel and think at this time. Or the other tendency is to separate those things completely. There's the way I act and think when I'm talking about the gospel and the way I act and think when I'm not talking about specifically the gospel. And I think what, what we're going to learn a lot in, in Doctrine and Covenants is that your daily life is you living the gospel. Your daily life is not separate from that. There's not, you know, church time and normal time. It's all the time. And the more that we're like that, and I'm not saying you need to go off spouting scripture at people all the time or anything like that, but you know, just having a mindset where you don't separate those two worlds, that those two worlds become one and the same. And you will find yourself acting differently and thinking differently and being more temperate, I think. Um, especially when we need it most, which seems to be in all this tumultuous times, if we can be a force for, for moderation and for temperance, that might be a good thing. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.